0: There's a great story about a monk named Macarius who lived in the 4th century. He's now known to us as Saint Macarius, Saint Macarius the Great. Well, the story goes, he was uh, taking a stroll through the Egyptian desert one day. And while he was walking, he came across a human skull lying in the sand. And like any decent, classy and civilized gentleman, he began to poke at it with a stick. (laughs) Do you remember that weird kid in your neighborhood that your mom didn't really want you hanging out with growing up? Yeah, Macarius kind of gives me those kinds of vibes, right? (laughs) But just as soon as he poked at the skull with his stick, he uh, was swept up in a vision. And the spirit of the deceased person reanimated the skull and the skull started to talk to him. And Macarius, being the gentleman that he was, he thought it would have been rather rude not to make proper introductions. So he proceeded to have a full-blown conversation with a human skull in the middle of the Egyptian desert. Yeah, he was definitely that weird kid that your mom didn't want you playing with growing up. Even though this whole scene is really bizarre... This conversation between Macarius and the skull is, in my opinion, one of the most fascinating things to have ever been written down. And in fact, it might just be one of the most urgent and the most revolutionary stories for our time. I can't think of any better cultural critique (laughs) than this story right here. So the skull comes to life, and Macarius looks down at it and asks, Who are you? But the skull, for some reason, couldn't answer this question directly. All Macarius wanted to know was the deceased person's name, but the skull couldn't tell Macarius who it was. It could only tell him what it used to do for a living before it died. I was a pagan high priest, the skull said. Now, the strange thing, if it could get even more strange, right? (laughs) Uh, The strange thing is that the skull couldn't remember its own name But it knew Macarius's name. You are Macarius, the spirit bearer. Whenever you take pity on those of us who are in hell and you pray for us, we feel a little respite. So at this point it obviously dawns on Macarius that he's talking to someone who is in hell. And it surprises him to find out that his compassion and his prayers are actually bringing some relief to the people who are suffering there in hell. And then the skull goes on to describe what life in hell is like, you know, and all of the images that we would normally associate with it are there, you know, things like fire and brimstone and all that stuff. But in this story, these images, they're clearly metaphors for a spiritual condition. They're not descriptors of a literal physical torment. The skull is not burning in a literal lake of fire. But he is. He is being consumed by some sort of unquenchable emotional agony. It's like an emotional fire that he can't seem to douse. And the skull describes the cause of all of this agony, which in his mind is the worst thing about hell. In hell, it it said, it's not possible to see anyone face to face. It's like the face of one person is fixed to the back of another, so we can never fully turn to see another human being, nor can we ever be seen by them. But when you pray for us, Macarius... Each of us can see the other's face just a little bit. Such is our respite. Now the implications of this ancient story are many, and they are profound. Hell is what you call it when human beings stop seeing each other, when they stop spending time face-to-face together, when they stop loving one another. And as such, hell is a descent, a descent from personhood to thinghood. It is a descent from a uniquely personal existence to an anonymous, impersonal existence. A famous philosopher once said that hell is other people. But according to this ancient story, the exact opposite is true. Hell is me, all by myself, on my own little island, in my own little bubble, entrenched in my own little ego, completely detached from others. Without other people in my life, I completely lose sight of who I am. Without a community of love surrounding me, I will forget who I am. And like that skull in the desert, yeah, I might be able to tell you a lot about my career, what I do for a living, and I might even conflate my being with my doing, defining my existence by my doing. But other than that, I won't really be able to tell you who I really am. When I cut myself off from community, when I get out of the habit of communing with other people, when I don't spend real time face-to-face with other people. I only end up destroying myself. I mean, think about it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? In the opening chapters of Genesis, God stops five times, five times, to proclaim just how good everything that he has created is. It's almost like God, like, surprises himself with how good it all turned out gee, those penguins and those mountains and those blades of, glass, of grass and those fluffy clouds are pretty cool. They look a lot better in real life than they ever did on that drawing board. And we're told that when God had finished the whole project and he finished creating everything, he even took a step back. And just to observe just how very good everything was. He saw that it was so very good. But when we get to the second chapter of Genesis, though, we find out that there is one thing, just one thing in all of the creation that isn't good. Do you remember what that one thing is? I'm sure you know it. God looked down at the single human being he had made, Adam. When God saw Adam living all by himself, he said, It is not good for man to be alone. Why? Because alone man is no man. For we are relational beings who are made in the image of the God whose very being is relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Like I said a few weeks back in a sermon a few weeks ago, uh, St. Gregory Nazianzus, who, like Macarius, also lived in the 4th century. St. Gregory once said that we call God Father, not because God does the types of things that your dad would do. Like, we don't call God Father because he tells dad jokes, or because he cusses a lot when he fixes things around the house, or because he listens to Fleetwood Mac. No, Gregory said that we call God Father because the word itself implies a relationship. You can't be a father if you don't have a son. The same is true of God the Son. The word son implies a relationship. You can't be a son if some parent somewhere didn't beget you. And just as we cannot think of the Father without the Son or the Son without the Father, so too we cannot think of ourselves without those other people who... Those other people who make us, who and what we are. I mean, even the word that we get our English word person from, right? It's from the ancient Greek word prosopon. Prosopon is two little words smooshed together. Pros upon. Pros means towards, and upon means face. So a prosopon, a person, is someone who has their face turned towards somebody else. Another way of saying it, personhood implies relationship. You cannot be a person without relationship. A person cut off from everyone else is really no person at all. It's only in the context of other people, only in the context of communion, that we discover who we are. As one famous theologian has said, being is communion. Now take a second to think about what all of this means. Think about our culture. The average average American today spends more than four hours a day, four hours a day watching TV. The average American today also spends... Three hours on average and 45 minutes a day on their smartphone. I actually hear that's quite low. Um, I heard another, another statistic that people spend on average 11 hours a day on digital media. But what does it mean? So let's just, let's just be conservative. Let's say the average American spends four hours a day on TV, almost four hours a day on their phones. What does it mean for our personhood? When instead of turning our faces towards other people, we mindlessly turn our faces to images on screens for close to eight hours a day. Next time you go out to eat, take a moment to look around the restaurant. Just observe. Notice how many people are scrolling through their phones instead of talking to the people sitting right across from them at the table. What does it mean for our personhood when we get in the habit of ignoring the friends right in front of us in order to check out what our friends on Facebook are doing? What does it mean for us, right? How is that shaping us? How is that warping us? People today don't have to interact with any other human beings anymore if they don't want to. Like, before, you used to have to at least look the the, the bagger or the, the clerk in in the eye whenever you went to the grocery store, right? Uh, you don't even have to do that anymore, right? You can get anything you want, anything you need, delivered right to your door, your dinner, your groceries, even your booze, right? And you don't have to interact with the delivery person if you don't want to. And I'm not saying all of this is bad, but we need to ask what this is doing to us, As human beings, if we are relational beings, what's going to happen if we continue to cut ourselves off from other people and from society and from any and all relationships? Well, I imagine it's going to start feeling a lot like hell. I imagine that people are going to lose sight of who they are and lose sight of any sense of meaning in life is relationships. (laughs) That is life's ultimate meaning. That is life, literally. This Advent, as we reflect on Jesus' coming into our world, let us remember why Jesus came and what it is that he left behind, what it is that he left us with. Jesus didn't come into the world to hand down a list of doctrines or dogmas to us. He didn't come into the world to hand down an ethical code of conduct. No, what did he leave us with? He left us this. He left us each other. Community. The church is the thing that he handed down to us. And to quote that old skull, we are each other's respite. It is in and through the church, in and through communion, that we discover who we truly are. And without the church, well, without the church, we're just a bunch of talking skulls.